Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comment section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. Alright, so um, really happy with, <laughs> with the podcast that we got up this week uh, that I posted yesterday with Nathan Rich. We had a very long and very interesting conversation. Uh, and I hope you guys have had a chance to check that out, as well as the interview that I posted with Kat McElhaney this week, who was a local uh, Denver ex-Scientologist, uh, had experienced uh, some very unfortunate uh, things with it. Uh, many years ago, has been dealing with that, approached me to try to get her story out there, and I thought that we should do that. And there's been nothing but positive feedback on that story. So again, if you haven't checked that out, please do so. Uh, I wanted to validate, uh, give a shout out to some of my uh, Patreon supporters who have just signed up this last week. You know, Patreon is a, is a funny thing because you gain some and you lose some. And of course, I don't give shout outs to people when they, when they discontinue their Patreon support. So you guys don't always necessarily see that. But, um, but it is, there was some real substantial gain this last couple of weeks. And I really wanted to thank you guys for that, all of you. And everybody who has um, shown me some love and support, either through one-off donations or by signing on with, through Patreon. So shout out to uh, JR, uh, Richard Durth, uh, Christine Turner, Bill Quigley, uh, Denise Carlson, and Dwayne Dibley first. <laughs> okay, so thank you very much to you guys for your support because you guys are the ones who keep this channel going and allow me to do the research and work and uh, put the time in in order to give you guys the best quality content that I can. So thank you again for your support. Now let's go ahead and get on with your questions. Mary Beth Wiley, while in the Sea Org, did you come across other groups similar to Scientology using international waters to evade their respective government? Also, would you equate Hubbard's Sea Org to Jim Jones's Jonestown? I guess what I'm asking is, would you consider the ship used as an isolation tool? Thanks, Mary Beth, for the question. Um, I was never on the ship, uh, certainly not with Hubbard, and I've never been on the free ones either. So I can't speak to other groups that might be out there trolling around on the ocean in order to evade, um, you know, the tax man or other legal authorities. It would stand to reason that there would be some folks out there doing that, but I never ran into any of them. Now, as far as the ship uh, being used as an isolation tool, um, Yes, that was one of the side effects, I suppose you could say, of Hubbard uh, taking, you know, getting out onto the ocean uh, and sailing around in the in the uh, Mediterranean and off the coast of Spain and Portugal and and in, and France, those areas, uh, which is where he tended to to stay. And then, of course, you have the free winds now, uh, which started sailing in the 1980s and has been uh, running around in the Caribbean. Uh, docking at the ABC Islands and also uh, Columbia. So, um, so I, again, I'm not familiar with that area. I don't, I don't know a whole lot about it. I have never been on the ship, either one of these boats. But I do know that Hubbard was seeking to stay away from uh, the authorities. And, uh, and, he, and so his crew was also, in effect, uh, you know, isolated and alone on those boats. Um, for you know a good long time when they were out out on the out on the water or even when they were sometimes uh, in port they didn't necessarily go ashore and it wasn't like they were always out 
on vacation and stuff. I mean, I'm sure they enjoyed their shore leave when they got it. And sometimes they really enjoyed their shore leave. The ship was, you know, it depends on who you talk to and during what time period as to how much freedom of mobility and and even freedom of thought they had. Uh, Hubbard was kind of up and down on uh, a few different spectrums. And so sometimes he was acting like Captain Bly and other times he was the kindly, gentle, uh, grandfatherly type. So it really depended on what kind of mood he was in as to how much freedom people on the boats uh, or ships would have. But um, as far as the, I can speak to uh, the fact that the free winds now um, has been used to uh, exile people too. Uh, not frequently, uh, according to some of the stories that I've heard. It's only, this has only happened a few times, but you know, even one is a few too many, where Scientologists who get in bad for some reason end up, and by that's, I mean, Sea Org members now. Um, I've never heard of a public Scientologist or even a staff member being uh, put off on the on the free winds or being sent there and being kept there under some kind of isolation or, or prison sentence or something. But apparently that has been done with a few Sea Org members and they've managed to escape or, or get out of there and that's how we know something about that. So I don't know, that's pretty much, you know, I don't really have a lot to elaborate on with that. That's pretty much what I can tell you and I hope that answers your question. Turd Ferguson. Hey there, Chris. As a supporter of freedom of expression, I'm a little concerned with the mass deplatforming of Alex Jones. Let me preface the following by stating I am not a fan of Alex Jones. I do not align with his politics or his wacky theories, but the manner in which he was removed from these platforms, the reason it was done, and the speed it was done, give me cause for concern. Of course, the company has a right to refuse service. Interesting that American liberals happily apply this to massive tech companies and not a tiny cake shop. But doesn't it concern you for the precedent being established? That for vague, nebulous, and often unstated reasons, one's opinion can be deemed wrong and simply scrubbed from social media. You've talked often about how Scientology hijacks the genuine compassion of its members for self-serving purposes. I wonder if you can see how often the political left in America also does this. I watched Bill Maher's audience of self-identified liberals cheer for censorship and then watch as a room full of presumably educated adults had to be informed that free speech means the right to say something they might not like. This whole scenario saddens me as I see the self-proclaimed party of the people eroding liberty and then cheering about it. All right, well, this is a huge topic and one I'm only really going to be able to give a summary version of my ideas about here in this uh, Q&A show, but I thought I'd take the question up and address it because you asked. Um, okay, Alex Jones being removed from social media platforms is not a free speech issue. Okay, let's just get that clear right from the get-go. It's not because people, or at least it shouldn't have been, and I don't perceive that it was, because he was saying things people don't like that he was removed from social media platforms. There is a thing about free speech. It has consequences. And when a person, a content creator, and this is something that I've had to give an awful lot of thought to as a YouTube content creator, when somebody who is a content creator incites violence, puts out messages that encourage, that ask for people, to go take action 
when you put out statements that are lies, that are provably lies, that really have absolutely no basis in fact whatsoever, such as saying that the children who were massacred at Sandy Hook were crisis actors, and that the parents of those dead children are crisis actors, that all of it was fake, none of it actually happened, and these people were somehow, I don't know, paid off or something? Because one assumes if you have crisis actors that you have somebody who's hired the crisis actors. When you frame a tragedy in those terms, and then watch with apparent glee as your followers and the people who believe the nonsense that you spew, when you watch those people go and stalk and harass those parents to the point that they can't even go visit the gravesite of their own children for fear of being yelled at, pushed around, physically threatened. I mean, come on, man. And then, and then the worst part is that Alex Jones, as the content creator, is actually presented with legal papers saying, dude, you really need to stop this. What you're doing is actually having an impact, an extremely harmful impact, on innocent people who are not crisis actors, who have lost their children. And he doubles down. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't tell his followers or listeners, hey, you know what? I got that one wrong. I shouldn't have said that. You know, leave those people alone. I was the whole crisis actor thing. You know, maybe in the moment I got a little carried away. You know, I shouldn't have said that. He never issued any such statement, not that I know of. Instead, he doubled and tripled down on it. He went on to even crazier conspiracy theories with the deep state and, the, and QAnon and, you know, this, this kind of nonsense. And he ties it all together into some insane worldview. And it's not the insanity of his ideas that are the problem, though. Alex Jones has been doing this crap for years. This has been his shtick, and he's made millions of dollars doing it. The problem is everything else I just told you about. Having these people in the real world take his crazy ideas and act on them. And when you are a content creator, you know, I have said many times, let me just kind of, uh, let me just say this, okay? I have had to make it clear a number of times, and even put it in writing, I believe, on my, in my moderation policy, that I am not okay with advocating any level of violence against Scientology or Scientologists, or against any of these destructive cults that I talk about. And when I see comments, and I police my comments on my channel very, you know, I, I watch them closely every day. And if I see adv advocacy for violence, if I see people saying, you know, somebody should take David Miscavige out back and kick his ass, I'd like to see that guy get disconnected from life, you know, and this kind of thing, I erase those comments. You don't see them. Uh, whenever I can, whenever I catch them. Uh, and I've made it very clear that I do not condone, endorse, or in any way suggest that anyone go out and take any violent action against Scientologists. Now, I do that for a number of reasons. One, because it's absolutely useless to do something like that. It's only going to make things worse. Two, I don't want anyone thinking that that's what I'm advocating or that that's what I'm encouraging. 
And three, of course, I would not want to be held liable for anybody going out and doing something like that. And I know it's already pretty much law that I wouldn't be held liable, but I, I really have a very uh, principled position about violence and stalking and harassment and all the rest of it. And if I'm going to sit here and say it's not okay for Scientology to be doing those kinds of things to its critics, then I certainly don't want any of you guys going out there and doing that to Scientologists. So when I see another content creator, Alex Jones, encouraging and inciting this kind of behavior, not taking any responsibility for it, and in fact, like I said, double or even tripling down on it, this is now a person whose speech is being used in a completely unacceptable manner. The consequences of his speech are unacceptable, and therefore he needs to be stopped. Now, that's not the same thing as I disagree with what he's saying, and I hope I'm making it crystal clear why it's not the same. So, uh, you know, we have a principle here in the United States that we talk about with free speech, uh, that, that the, the analogy that everybody goes to, which tends to make sense and gets people to see how, you know, speech can be harmful, is when you talk about fire in a crowded theater, right? And to me, this is equating, when people start talking about free speech in regards to Alex Jones, I start thinking, well, you're making the case that anybody can stand up in a theater and start yelling fire and pointing and screaming and, and inciting a riot, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I go, no, there's everything wrong with that. So I never, ever called for, for example, on my part, I never called for Alex Jones to be deplatformed until his speech had real-world consequences like that. I ragged on Alex Jones and will continue to do so up one side and down the other for his stupidity and for the fact that he lies and for the fact that, you know, his gullible believers swallow most of his nonsense. Uh, I don't agree with any of that, but I never thought just because he was doing that somebody should take his platform away from him. But when he crossed those lines, I went, you know, it was very justified that they do that. Now, here's another thing that I brought up uh, just the other night, actually, in a podcast that I was on, not, not on this channel, but uh, for, on somebody else's podcast, and that is that what I don't think anybody's particularly looking at here, and this is just conjecture on my part, of course, but I think it's good conjecture, is Facebook, uh, YouTube, and you know, these other, uh, Instagram, these other platforms, Twitter, which is not deplatformed Alex Jones as far as I know, but the other platforms did. Um, these guys are, are multi-million billion dollar companies. Their exposure, their legal liability and exposure for giving Alex Jones a platform to carry out these actions opens them up to lawsuits just like they're going after Alex Jones, they could go after these platforms and maybe they should. So I think that the reason why these companies acted in the way that they did was, to, was for financial liability purposes, not because they had some, the CEO or the board of directors of Facebook or Instagram have some big issue with what Alex Jones is saying and therefore they're going to deplatform him. I don't think that's what actually happened. Now, if I'm wrong, you know, you can link me to whatever statements these people have said as to, you know, why they did it that might indicate that it was you know, for some other reason than what I'm saying, but I think it had to do with money. 
Because if you want to know what drives companies to move and motivates them to act, it's money. It's losing money, you know, or gaining money. And in this case, you know, I think they were looking at the, the liability factor there and going, yeah, we, we, better, we better get, you know, unplugged from this guy. Uh, and I think that's why they did that more so than because, you know, of free speech issues. So the private company thing, I just want to address that because uh, it might, I don't particularly perceive this as hypocrisy. Um, if you're a store and you sell goods and services to the public, and somebody comes into your store and you say, well, I'm not going to serve you because you're a homosexual or you're gay or you're bi or whatever. Um, now you're infringing on somebody's civil rights. I mean, so yeah, you have a right to believe whatever you want. But, you know, if, if, if you're imposing, you know, your rights end when somebody else's, when you're infringing on somebody else's rights. Nobody, removing some, somebody from a social media platform does not in any way, shape, or form remove their right to speak. Facebook doesn't grant people the right to speak. The government does. And the government in no way, shape, or form impinged on Alex Jones's right to speak. He has every right to go out onto any street corner he wants to or public venue or place that will you know, cater to him or, or give him a platform and say whatever he wants. His right to speech was not touched in any way by this. When a LGBTQ member of the, you know, a member of that community goes into a store and is told, I'm not selling you something because of who you are, now we have a civil rights issue. That's a different thing. And I, I, I really, you know, it's not a free speech issue, certainly. And it's not a freedom of religion issue either. The store owner can go practice their religion in any way they want. But again, their rights end when they are impinging on or halting or ceasing the rights of others. So, you know, it's kind of a whole different situation there that you're kind of mushing together. And, uh, and I really don't think that's a very good idea. So, um, you know, giving Alex Jones's right to speak has not been taken away. Social media platforms are private companies. They have terms of service. They can enforce those terms of service whenever they want, according to the words of the terms of service that people agree to. And if somebody starts spewing a bunch of, you know, violence inciting language, then they probably should be pulled. Uh, and that's, you know, that's according to the company's rules and regulations. And that's the sign up, you know, that's the contract you sign when you, when you go on board those social media platforms. Uh, you know, just the, the right to speak is what I'm doing right now. I'm speaking. I can, I can do this in a public venue and any, any place I want. And no government official can come and stop me from doing that unless I'm violating other people's rights. Whether some private company wants to give me a bullhorn to reach lots and lots of people at once is up to that company. And that does, that's not a matter of, of, I mean, I guess you could call it censorship, but it's not, a, it's not a matter of taking away my right to free speech. So that's how I see those things. And I think that's how most people see them based on you know, a lot of the tweets and comments and social media stuff I've seen. 
So that's what I have to say about that. OMG, so like Valley Girl. I sometimes encounter people on internet forums that seem to somehow defend Scientology, or say things like, oh, it's just like all the other religions, and other apologetic statements. Is there a way to trigger these people into revealing whether they themselves are Scientologists or not? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Scientologists are people on a mission, right? And so if, they, if the initial statement, and a lot of people have made the statement that Scientology is just like every other religion, and is just as kooky and has just as crazy beliefs. And I mean, Neil deGrasse Tyson said that, and uh, you know, he was a fool for saying it. But you know, even he said that. Um, that's lazy, critical analysis of Scientology. It's a false equivalency. Um, but people do it, and I understand why people do it because they look at cults or religions as a set of ideas or beliefs, and then they compare it to another set of ideas or beliefs and think that that's you know, well, they're, they're all just as crazy as every other belief, and so I don't believe any of them, and so therefore they're all same, same, same. Uh, no, that's, 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 I would say you have a wrong definition of religion there as well, by the way, because religion is a lot more than a set of ideas. Um, and so anyway, in terms of uh, Scientology and Scientologists on internet forums, what you would do is you would say, yeah, but... Uh, Scientology is a destructive cult. It actually does things in the real world that go far beyond the pale. It enforces disconnection. It abuses, stalks, and harasses ex-members or critics. It, you know, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, as far as all the things that Scientology actually does, and we know it does these things. So if you were to put that there as a reply to such a statement, then the person, any reasonable person, was going to, would look at that and go, oh, well, yes, I see that Scientology actually does things that are a little worse than my you know, local Christian church or something. And then they might respond favorably to that or at least say, okay, got it, yeah, it's not exactly the same. Uh, atheists will tend to give you a response of, yeah, I know all of them are cults, and so, you know, what's the big deal or whatever, or, and you just go, okay, fine, whatever. Scientologists will feel compelled to defend and or attack you personally for those statements. They will come after you as a bigot. Uh, that's, a, that's a word they like to use. Or uh, freedom of religion. They'll start pushing out the idea that uh, somehow you targeting them, like it gets more personal. You know, you targeting Scientology, okay, now there's something really wrong with that. And, you know, you should read a book, you should find out more about it, um, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, these kind of attack sort of vectors in defending Scientology, right? They're not going to defend it by saying, oh no, Scientology's wonderful and great. Well, actually, you could get some Scientology's wonderful and great and blah, 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 blah. But they're probably not going to get that as the next comment in, you know, in reply to this idea that Scientology is just as kooky as all other religions. You're going to probably get something more logically consistent than that. But it will be more focused and directed at you. And because uh, and, Scientology is all about always attack, never defend. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the um, attitude that you'll be 
greeted with if you if you start attacking a Scientologist online. And that's those are all general, you know, kind of general broad statements I can make. Um, I've I've encountered Scientologists online a few times, and I don't know. Somehow there's just this little tweak that goes off in the back of my head when I feel like I'm actually talking to a Scientologist uh, versus a generic, you know, religion religious apologist, as you mentioned there. So um, so I don't know. I just kind of take it as I go and let my instinct guide me on that. Matthew Adamic. While watching your latest Q&A, I stumbled across a YouTube channel produced by what I believe to be an independent Scientologist. It was an attack video against you, and it was hypercritical of what this person believed was your attack against Scientology as a religion. He was critical of the fact that you were unable to differentiate between Scientology the Church and Scientology the Religion. I guess my question is, given the nature of the YouTube video as being angry, hateful, and overly sensitive to anyone critical or anyone questioning the validity of Scientology as a true religion, what really is the difference between Scientology the Church as an entity and those who practice the religion as independents? I personally don't see the difference as it pertains to the general nature of anybody who's connected to the Church or the religion, as they both seem to possess the same hateful and bigoted characteristics. Furthermore, I believe that the fact that Scientology the Church goes after independent Scientologists as squirrels as vigorously as those they deem suppressive or enemies of the Church proves that there is very little to no difference between the two. Yeah, good old independent Scientologists. Um, I've tried to have a sort of live and let live attitude towards those guys, um, but you know, I, I don't agree with what they're doing, and I think they're still just caught up in the mind traps and bullshit of Scientology, and they just sort of perpetuate that out in the real world. I don't give them a pass as easily as I do existing in the church Scientologists, because when you're out of the church, when you've been kicked out, you know, or you leave, and uh, you go out and practice independent Scientology, you have full access to all the information I have put out, many, many others have put out over the last few decades about L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology and the legitimacy of either one of those things. And both of them, of course, are completely illegitimate and ridiculous. So people who have access to that information, you know, let me say this, Scientologists don't have access to that information. They self-police and they are policed very carefully by the Church of Scientology. When you get out and you can see all of it and you still make the conscious decision to continue on with an authoritarian control system and ideas that have been debunked up one side and down the other, I just go, man, what the hell is wrong with you? You know, I mean, seriously. But like I said, People are going to live their lives and they're going to do whatever they're going to do, regardless of what I have to say about it. So, you know, live and let live, right? As long as they're not hurting other people, I don't really care. Um, now, Scientology the Church is, you know, there is a difference between Scientology the Church and Scientology the philosophy or the religion. Uh, Scientology the Church is an authoritarian control system that exists for really only one purpose, and that is to make money. And it's a scam, and it uses religious cloaking in order to hide its true nature. But the religious cloaking is very involved, and it's very complicated, and it involves a tremendously large cosmology and mythology and a lot of faith-based ideas that people buy into. So it's easy for them to get involved in Scientology and talk about it as a valid 
distinct and unique religion. Uh, it has uh, not just a set of ideas, but practices and mindsets, and, and it creates a kind of euphoria, uh, which is the thing that actually generates the real psychological and emotional fervor that people feel about religious belief. It's not just, as I was referring earlier in, the, in this Q&A video this week, I was talking, I, I mentioned that, that religion is not just a set of ideas. It's an experience. It's something that people have to subjectively go through. Uh, that's part of what religion is. So, um, so if you just take the ideas away from this authoritarian structure, then you have a set of techniques and, and ideas which can, in and of themselves, create a kind of euphoric experience for people. Because they can get auditing or read and listen to L. Ron Hubbard outside the church and get that same kind of euphoric experience or have some kind of realization or what they call cognition. Oh, wow, I didn't know that before. You know, they read something from Hubbard that they've never seen before. And they go, wow, that's really cool or really interesting. I didn't know that before. I didn't look at that that way before. He's really smart for pointing it out or putting it into those words that I'd never thought of or seen before. And therefore, there's something, you know, valid to this. Well, that's a very personal experience that somebody's having with the materials of Scientology, and they can have that experience outside of that whole authoritarian control structure that is the Church of Scientology. Um, however, my argument has always been, and continues to be, that all of that euphoric experience that somebody's having, either through Dianetics auditing, or Scientology auditing, or through Hubbard's materials, you can get a lot easier, a lot safer in other things. Uh, you can go get some counseling. You can read some philosophers, like real philosophers, not L. Ron Hubbard's plagiarized nonsense. Uh, go back and actually read the original material that, he's, that he, he cribbed from. Um, you know, go read some science. Go read some philosophy. Uh, go read some other religious materials. You know, like go out and, and sample a lot of things and you're going to find there's all kinds of experiences in the world that provide very interesting you know, <laughs> feedback to your mind and to your emotional state. And, uh, and you don't have to buy into this guy, L. Ron Hubbard, who presents some common sense principles mixed in with all kinds of landmines and all kinds of goofy, false ideas that don't help and, in fact, make life worse and more difficult and harder to, to get through or to live. What's on my mind these days is the emotional tone scale of Scientology because I'm doing the whole, you know, I'm writing the, doing the research and writing the script for that is the next Basics of Scientology video. And Hubbard's nonsense about what emotion is where it comes from, how it's manifested, the scale of emotions that Hubbard provides, and what he has to say about, you know, how you, how you control and manipulate other people through emotions. All of this is pure nonsense. It doesn't help anybody. It is really not good information. Uh, you know, is, is a general way of putting that. It's not good. Uh, and I'll break down, you know, a lot of examples and reasons why when I, when I get that video out. But um, that's just one example that I'm talking about where you 
you know, you can become very emotionally damaged by trying to apply or use this information. You will have really screwed up ideas about why people act the way they do because they don't act the way they do because of, how, because of Hubbard's explanations. Maybe 25% of the time, you know, maybe 10% of the time, this information on emotion and on the tone scale might work and then you go, oh, well, see, it worked, it worked. And so therefore, all of it's true, which is a completely illogical and unwarranted conclusion. Just because something works once or twice doesn't mean the whole body of knowledge that is there is true. It just means you had one experience and you lucked into or might have uh, had with this one person, this one time, a positive experience. That's, that is not you know, okay, settled science, we got it all figured out now. That's how Hubbard did things. So that's not how you want to do things, you know. So, um, and, and of course, Hubbard encourages this kind of thinking in his writings and in his lectures. So again, if you're listening or uh, reading this stuff, even outside the Church of Scientology, and you're not using critical thinking or, or reading this very carefully, you could buy into and accept things as true that are absolutely not true, and this will just screw up your thinking. Um, so I, you know, that's why I say just stay the hell away from, from it if you, if you can. I mean, I, on the one hand, I go, look, if you want to go find out about it, go find out about it. Knock yourself out. Uh, you know, it's not my place to tell you what to do or not to do. But if you're asking me, should I read this stuff? Should I do something with this? I say no. <laughs> you know, because I know the landmines that are in this stuff. And there's a lot of them. And you'll step on them. And they'll, they'll blow up and it won't be pretty. So... Anyway, so that's, I don't know, I, I, I hope that kind of gives some uh, idea of the difference between these two things and why I tend to rail against or at least not endorse or encourage people to, to study Scientology outside the church. Susan Hepler. I was wondering, how does Scientology look at mainstream moral panics like the Satanic Panic? And does the group have music, movies, or other forms of media they flat out tell their followers to avoid besides those few instances of media that are just critical of Scientology. For example, some Christians try to keep those in their flock from listening to bands like Marilyn Manson or watching TV shows like Charmed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, for example, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Verboten, right? Not good to be doing Dungeons and Dragons in Scientology. Uh, basically, and, and here I'll tell you the reason why. Um, Scientologists believe that you have a mind, a, a reactive mind, that has pictures in it of times in the past when you have been subjected to pain, stress, and trauma, and unconsciousness. And that those times, those, those mental image pictures, and I'll just represent that with my hand here as this sort of, you know, picture floating in space, because that's how pretty much how Scientologists imagine it, sheets of energy, they call these pictures. Uh, well, these things impinge on you. They, they, they can recreate if some of the content of the picture is recreated in present time. So uh, you get bit by a dog when you're eight years old, it's very painful, you know, the dog knocks you over, you hit your head on the ground, you get knocked out, and you have this dog bite, and all of this is recorded in your reactive mind. Ten years later, you're walking down the street, it's a sunny day like it was when you got bit by the dog, 
there's a dog barking, maybe it's the same kind of dog or it sounds a little bit like that dog that bit you, you start feeling uncomfortable. This picture, according to L. Ron Hubbard, and this is all bullshit, but this is what Hubbard says, this picture comes in and you start feeling a little uncomfortable and it's kind of a subconscious thing. You don't really know why. You're trying to figure out, yeah, I just don't feel good. You have no analytical connection with the dog barking in the sunny day to this incident that you know happened 10 years ago. All of this is called re-stimulation. Okay, that's why I have to explain all this. It's re-stimulation. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's taking this picture and stimulating it again, and it's slapping you upside the head, and it's making you feel uncomfortable. It might even create pain in the area where you got bit by the dog, or it might give you the feeling that you need to get away or get out or something's wrong. As far as Scientology is concerned, this re-stimulation is going on all the time and you're constantly being re-stimulated by things going on in your environment. You've only got, you know, 86 trillion quadrillion years of stress and trauma to re-stimulate. So, you know, according to Hubbard's principles, I think all of us would be fairly comatose from all the re-stimulation we'd be experiencing every moment of every day, and we wouldn't be able to get through life. But, you know, like I said, uh, none of this is really real anyway. But this is what Scientologists think. So, they will avoid anything that they think is going to re-stimulate them. And so weird, strange movies that throw a lot of weird stuff at you. I mean, for example, when I was in Scientology, Fight Club, the movie was, was you know, somebody said, man, that movie is just pure reactive mind from one end to the other. In other words, it's this crazy, chaotic movie that just re-stimulates past pictures of, of stress and trauma and, and unconsciousness. Uh, very unpleasant experience, you know. It was very, another word Scientology uses is n-theta. It's very n-theta, meaning it's bad, it's confusing, it makes you feel worse rather than better. Um, you know, this is, they don't like that. They reject that kind of thing. So a lot of Scientologists will avoid uh, horror movies. Again, this isn't dogma. This is just kind of the culture of Scientology I'm talking about now. Um, horror movies, really gut-wrenching, awful, you know, experiences or things that will remind them of those kinds of things, whether it's book, art, you know, media, they'll tend to avoid that kind of stuff. They want things to be theta, not n-theta, theta, the opposite, right? Light, airy, happy, you know, this, this kind of thing is what makes Scientologists uh, happy. <laughs> and, uh, and they want to avoid the bad stuff. So, you know, it's, I, I realize I'm describing things that are very subjective. Um, you know, it really depends on the person because there's certainly tons of Scientologists who enjoy horror movies. So it's not everybody. You know, some Scientologists are a lot more sensitive to this than others. But this is, the, the general idea is avoid N-theta, avoid nasty, restimulative stuff. And Dungeons and Dragons, for example, is supposed to be very restimulative because you're going through and you're being somebody else, you're being this character that you've created, and you're going through mazes and traps and, and violent situations, and it could be restimulative. That was what we, we were told when I was a teenager. And of course, I didn't listen, but that's what I was told as to why I shouldn't be playing Dungeons and Dragons. So I imagine video games could also fall into this, you know, that kind of thing. Again, no hard and fast rules in Scientology for the most part. The only thing that you are absolutely forbidden to look at or have anything to do with is anti-Scientology material. But culturally, 
this other stuff comes into play. Alright, it is time for Flash Answers. Mr. Marathon 1989. Does David Miscavige have a secession plan in case he dies? Nope, not that we know of. Mr. Bazzini. I often see you when interviewing others, you are literally shocked to learn of goings-on you previously had not heard of. Sometimes you burst out in laughter at the lunacy or genuinely looked utterly shocked. Which story told to you over your many interviews has left you the most surprised? Actually, this is really timely because um, it was actually the podcast I just did with Nathan Rich. Uh, he told me some things that actually did really leave me a little speechless. And this was mainly in regards to his uh, time as a drug addict. And when we got into that, and we go into a lot of detail about his life post-Scientology uh, when he was destitute and alone and uh, became a drug addict and lived on the streets for seven years. I mean, it was horrifying. And I was shocked. I was uh, just... Wow, I did not, I didn't know all of that even going into the interview. We hadn't really discussed it. So, um, so the reactions you see from me are, are very genuine on that podcast. So I, I, I again recommend you check it out. Michaela Reedmiller, what accomplishments of yours in the Sea Org are you still proud of? Are there any? Yeah, I'm pretty helpful. I'm pretty proud of the help I gave to some people on an individual basis. I tried to help salvage a couple marriages. I tried to uh, work with some people who wanted to um, avoid or get off drugs. Um, but the thing I'm loath to admit, it's weird, um, that I still feel some level of pride in this, but I kind of do, so I'm just going to be honest with you, um, is finishing the RPF. You know, it took me three years and three months to get through that program. I could have and should have <laughs> left or right at the get-go, you know, but I stuck it out. I endured a tremendous amount of abuse, um, and I made it through it, and I finished it. I didn't let that thing beat me. And, um, and while I can see right now how irrational it is that I would say that that's something I have some degree of pride in, um, I do, because it was the hardest thing I've ever endured in my entire life. And I did endure it, and I did have a goal to finish it, and I finished it. And uh, anyway, like I said, I feel I have a lot of mixed feelings about that, as you can see. I haven't really fully even resolved that for myself totally. I imagine getting the book written on that will, will help. Um, in fact, that's pretty much why at this point I have the goal of writing a book about that is pretty much for me, uh, as much as it is to inform you guys. But um, anyway, that's kind of my answer. Okay, everybody, so that is our show for this week. Uh, thank you very much for coming around and watching. Please leave any questions, comments, or feedback in the comment section below here on YouTube uh, or at my blog, mncriticalthinking.com. And again, if you find my channel informative, educational, and interesting, and entertaining, I should say, uh, please do consider signing up on Patreon to support this channel. It is you guys who allow me to do what I'm doing here. I cannot tell you again how thankful I am for your support and uh, just for your positivity and your, and your feedback. And uh, I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.